All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host speaking to you from New York City on this, the 6th day of August, 2019. And we want to thank you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, want to also encourage you to send along your comments to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, economically viable. Our sponsors for this week are Radisson Gold Mining, Novo Resources, Great Bear Resources, and Klondike Gold. I think it has become increasingly clear to regular listeners to this show that Michael Oliver's proprietary momentum and structural analysis is extremely valuable. I know his very solid, non-objective appraisal of the markets, most important to listeners to this show, has been very helpful. And that is likely true for any markets, not just gold, which is our, one of our main focuses, of course. While many technical analysts have waffled from bull one day to bear the next in the gold markets, whipsawing investors in and out of the yellow metal and the companies that they produce that produce the yellow metal, Michael has confidently told us, based on his tried and proven proprietary technology techniques that he uses, not to worry. A major bull market in gold lies ahead, and without any doubt, he told us that the equity markets are in for a huge decline. Michael is kind enough to spend a few minutes with us each week to help us avoid being whipsawed in and out of our gold investments and to any other uh, number of markets as well. He has given us the big picture, which is most important to me as an investor in junior exploration companies. If you feel you have benefited from Michael's words on this show, I would strongly suggest that you go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to watch a video in which he explains and provides a visual explanation of his methodology and uh, that he uses that has been so effective uh, over the years. And... Uh, if after watching Michael's explanation of his, uh, the way he works, you feel you can benefit from his work, which uh, covers pretty much any market uh, of significance, then I strongly suggest you consider subscribing to his letter. Again, it's OliverMSA.com. Now that I've given a little plug for Michael's letter, I'm going to um, talk about my own a little bit. Um, I do expect to do so more often now as we move into this bull market because, quite frankly, the junior mining sector is becoming very, very exciting. In fact, I'd like to just give you an example of one very exciting story. In fact, it happens to be a sponsor of this show, Klondike Gold. It just announced this morning one meter intercept on its uh, project up in the Klondike, uh, in the in the Yukon, 
in the Great Klondike Gold Discovery, uh, Placer Gold Discovery of the late 1800s. It's, it's been doing work there, as you're well aware, if you've listened to my discussion with this company in the past. Uh, this morning, they announced one meter, a drill intercept, that graded 1,009 grams of gold per ton and 1,035 grams of silver per ton from a relatively shallow depth on the company's Klondike Gold Project. In fact, the company has now found found what is definitely the mother load source for at least a part of the massive Klondike placer gold discovered in the late 1800s. This is an extremely exciting story. And prior to the show, Peter Talman of Klondike contacted me to see if he might be able to come on the show today to talk about this new gold discovery. But in fact, we already had Chris Taylor, the president of another very exciting exploration story, Great Bear Resources, scheduled today to be on my show. In fact, we'll be talking to Chris after the first commercial break in just a, a few minutes from now. However, this morning I was able to pre-record an interview with Peter Talman, uh, an interview that you can listen to at the uh, podcast page at jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com. The podcast page there, Peter explains the significance of this phenomenal drill intercept and how he plans to continue to develop that huge property uh, through the end of 2019 and beyond. So if you're interested in this stock, and I think you well should be if you have a speculative inclination of junior exploration companies, that you go to jtaylormedia.com and listen to what Peter has to say about the significance of this really um, outrageously high gold intercept that he reported this morning. By the way, before I talk about today's show, I should put in a plug for the Metals Investor Forum, which will be held on September 6th and 7th in Vancouver. I will be there, uh, and several other newsletter writers as well. We'll bring our favorite gold mining companies to that story, to that uh, conference. Go to jtaylormedia.com and click on that, uh, on the Metals Investor Forum banner there on the homepage of jtaylormedia.com. Um, space is limited for this event, so all you need to do is, is register for it to make sure you have a seat at this event. I would strongly suggest you do to you do that. And I bring this up in part now because Great Bear Resources, which I learned about at about 10% of its current price, I learned about uh, at the uh, Metals Investor Forum. So lots of other companies are there too. That uh, The newsletter writers bring their favorites to this event. It, and these are independent newsletter writers that are not paid to say nice things about companies. So this is why I think the Metals Investor Forum is an outstanding event. jtaylormedia.com to sign up for it. Now, let me get on to today's show. I've titled it, A Compelling Case for Dollar Destruction and Hyperinflation. John Williams, Chris Taylor, and Michael Oliver, as I said, uh, all those are our guests for this week. As uh, Alistair McLeod has explained on this show in the past, the Chinese government has observed that global chaos following America's military activities and or financial crises have caused massive debt that is caused by massive debt money creation by the Federal Reserve usually results in a massive amount of capital flowing into U.S. Treasuries, and that in turn then strengthens the dollar following this, these destabilizing events. At the same time, the Chinese, the Russians, and other adversarial nations are sensing that the dollar status as world's reserve currency may be nearing an end because it's because of its constant creation of debt-based money, which uh, while providing temporary relief in a, uh, for a, it is essentially a pathological event leading to the dollar self-destruction. Indeed, the dollar, the global dollar system is taking on debt on an exponential pace while income to service that debt is growing at a snail's pace. 
The handwriting then would seem to be on the wall. The dollars, days are numbered, or so says John Williams, who is our main guest. And he's believed for some time that given the unsustainable amount of debt that the U.S. government is taking on combined with the uh, off-balance sheet promises for such things as Social Security and health care, etc., uh, for its uh, aging citizens, that we will reach a point in the not-too-distant future in which the U.S. will have no, ch- no choice. There will be no borrowers of U.S. Treasuries, at least not enough, to pay for the enormous amounts of debt. Therefore, John argues that we are going to see a massive amount of inflation in the currency, and ultimately that means that your dollars will continue to buy far less than they have in the past. Well, the mainstream view doesn't agree with John, so we're going to ask uh, John to defend his thesis against some of the most prominent arguments against the hyperinflation uh, theory. So, uh, as, as I say, John will be with me in the second half of today's show. And as just noted, Chris Taylor will be with me right after the first commercial break. But right now, I'm pleased to tell you that I have Michael Oliver with me once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you here. Um, You know, I I really want to ask you about the dollar because, as I just noted, our main guest today, John Williams, makes the hyperinflation case because he thinks the dollar will become essentially worthless. Now, maybe the dollar isn't worthless vis-a-vis other currencies completely. But in terms of what it will buy, perhaps all fiat currencies, which are based on nothing really except debt, uh, will become defunct. But in any event, uh, maybe putting on your putting on your uh, technical analysis hat, what do you see for the dollar at the moment? Well, uh, <laughs> it's one of the asset categories. I mean, it's major. You know, foreign exchange is major. Okay, and we're now we're talking dollar index, which means the inverse of that it would be uh, the the euro the Japanese yen and the British pound in that order of, of importance in, in terms of their weighting within the dollar index. Uh, dollar index, in our view, broke down into a negative annual momentum trend in the spring of 2017 as price dropped from 103.50 down to 99. So a 4% drop off the high broke annual momentum structure that went back like a decade. It then continued to drop to about 88 but significant drop. Uh, that was in t- early 2018. It made a low, and then it had a rally. And it was what we might call a, not a, a long-term trend rally, but a counter-trend rally to the breakage that had occurred earlier in 2017. Mm-hmm. They rallied up to 97 on the dollar index, and that was August a year ago, so 13 months and counting. Okay, um, It's trading around 97 right now. Uh-huh. So now, but there's all this talk about the strong dollar, and as you look at a simple chart, it's oscillated in a narrow range, a percent or so above and a percent or so below the August high of last year. Now, it's, it's held steady. It's, it's a firm you know, situation. You look at the chart, it's, it's sort of gradually rising, but it keeps trade, trading around that 97 level, which mm-hmm. means you know, around where it was a year ago. Now, everybody's talking about strong dollar. Now, it's not weak, but on the other hand, Gold said, I don't care. And she went from 1160 level in August of 2018, when the dollar was at 97, dollar index. And now you're up in the upper 1400s, with no help from the dollar being weak. Yeah. Uh, no assistance from the dollar. Uh, it's, a, it's a major technical situation now, in our view, that if the dollar weakens just about a half a point below today's traded low, Mm-hmm. Uh, in the cash dollar index, we think it's going to bust the gut. 
and break mm-hmm. break down. It's going to start to give back rapidly the rally that it had in the first half of 2018 that really hasn't extended since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we think there's a big number not far below today's traded low that if it's hit, all of a sudden you're going to see the major foreign exchange markets wake up in terms of volatility and direction. Mm-hmm. And we think the direction for the dollar will be down, and we think it could mm-hmm. be a fairly rapid drop once you hit that number. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think also mm-hmm. that could be coincident with, probably will be coincident with, another rapid drop in the S&P. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just had one over the last week or so. It's probably going to stabilize for the next day or two. That's our best guess. And we think the S&P could be ready for another big drop. And uh, when I say big Visit the video on our website, olivermsa.com. It shows yeah. you as soon as you go to the site. Uh, this is how big we think it's a move of the century, possibly. Uh, wow. But that one major asset category, foreign exchange, at least the major foreign exchange currencies, have not been playing at all in, over the last mm-hmm. year. They've not created any volatility or any major trend direction. And we think that's about to change. Uh, I think it's mm-hmm. right below our tippy toes. And uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess in terms of real money, gold, and asset-based money, the dollar has been weak, actually, not strong. Because, as you point out, the gold is continuing to rise. It's risen fairly dramatically, as you've been predicting, as your work is suggesting it would. Uh, and the dollar hasn't gone anywhere in the last year, as you say. So it's, uh, you'd say it's breaking down. So what about, Michael, uh, money, you know, the safe havens, there's T-bills, or T-bonds, I should say. Well, T-bills too, but T-bonds, which you follow closely, the long-term, long-dated U.S. dollars. Their rate, the uh, yields are coming down tr- dramatically as well. The, the bonds, the, T- the T-bond is strengthening tremendously. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much longer can the T-bond perform than if we're going to have a weak dollar? It would seem to me at I some point... We turned bullish. We turned, first of all, we turned very bearish on T bonds in 2016. Yeah. T bond futures, uh, and and they had a huge drop after that until a low late last year. In December last year, T bond futures were at 140, turning up from a low. Uh, and at 141, we said, okay, though we're bearish on the long term view, in other words, mm-hmm. higher yields, lower price. Right. Uh, ignore that for the time being. We said this there's going to be an advance here that is worth participating in. And T bonds now are over 160, mm-hmm. T bond futures. And they're, they're acting in a vertical manner. They're not acting in a slow trend, they're acting like a yeah. volcano. Now, yeah. why is it that people are grabbing long end of the debt market aggressively? What, what do they perceive out there in other asset categories that causes them to shift assets into? Mm-hmm. Uh, long-term U.S. government debt. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. actually, that rally in the T-bonds will probably end when the S&P produces something dramatic on the downside. And I mm-hmm. think whenever the S&P produces that, and again, go to the video, uh, it could be rapid and very dramatic, in which case mm-hmm. you'll get one of these bottle rocket situations where flight to safety is so overwhelming that it's just straight off the page on T-bonds. But at mm-hmm. that point, you could get a, a situation where the T-bond rally does stop mm-hmm. because it gets exhausted. It's done its job of mm-hmm. moving, you know, escorting money out of the S&P. Uh, and, and the S&P makes a low at some dramatic level, and you get an opposite move, in which case the T-bond rally could end at that point. I don't mm-hmm. think that will end the gold rally. Mm-hmm. But the T-bond rally, I think, at that point, being inverse presently to the S&P could change. But mm-hmm. for now, T-bonds are still very strong. Uh, they're acting like the S&P's rallying today. We don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 
same with well, gold. Well, do you think um, do you, do you think if we get that equity market decline um, that the dollar might go along with that, and I, yeah. that also could cause a loss of confidence? Why to hold? T-bonds if the dollar is losing its value dramatically. Yeah, it it could discourage any foreign investment in U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, assets, uh, Mm -hmm. such as the U.S. stock market, which has definitely been favored by foreign investors because it beat the pants off of the European markets, the Japanese market. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of foreign money in the U.S. stock market. If you cause the dollar to pinch them, not just the S&P, which has been pinching them, uh, if you pinch the dollar, yes, yeah. Okay, Michael. We're out of time, but if you could just oh, tell okay. us just, uh, real quickly, real, real quickly, with regard to gold, because gold has really been running here. Are are we through? What would be the major resistance levels that you're looking uh, for now? I'm uncertain on that, but I think you're not anywhere near it until you get well up into the 1500s. Okay. And, and again, I'm talking about a congestion or a pullback, not any end yeah. to the to the advance. Okay. Very good. All we're right. Thank there. you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, Michael, for being with us again. Always appreciate it. Uh, it's OliverMSA.com, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because Chris Taylor is with us, president of Great Bear Resources, one of the most exciting gold exploration stories in the universe. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Taylor. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me Chris Taylor. Chris is the president and director of Great Bear Resources, and uh, he's been there since 2010. And uh, he is, uh, I, I must say, for a, a relatively young fellow, he must be uh, living in seventh heaven because his company, Great Bear, is, uh, is certainly one of the most, uh, one, of the, one of the premier exploration success stories of the last couple of years. Uh, and so I'm really glad to have him with us again on this show. Great Bear trades in Canada under the symbol GBR. In the U.S., you can buy it as I have under the symbol GTBDF. There's only 40.5 million shares outstanding, which is really remarkable. Uh, stock selling at 427 in U.S. money today, at least a little before the show started, giving it a ca- giving it a market cap of around 212 million in U.S. money. Thanks for joining me again, Chris. Jay, it's always great to talk with you. Always great to talk with you, especially people like you who have success. We like uh, well, we like people no matter if they're successful or not, but we really like 
people who help put money in our pockets, and you have certainly done that for me and for many of my subscribers and many of our listeners, I'm sure. So anyway, uh, at the Dixie Lake Project, uh, you know, the initial discovery that you made there was you, you categorize it as pretty much a, a typical Red Lake, like the, the famous Red Lake mine that was the company maker for Gold Corp. But more recently, you found a different kind of mineralization along the LP fault. As I understand it, Chris, this is a new fault uh, discovery. And uh, along that fault, you have something called the Bear Rumini zone, which uh, I, I guess you're pretty high on. It looks very promising. Could you talk about that and, and perhaps uh, why this LP fault has become so important uh, in your exploration efforts? Uh, sure, I'm happy to do that, Jay. Uh, well, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, when we initially got the project, we knew that we had a gold zone on the property that was very much like, um, now it's Newmont, but Newmont Gold Corp's uh, main Red Lake gold mine. And, and, you know, we were very happy with that because it was one of the most uh, profitable gold mines in the world for over a decade after the high-grade gold discovery by our largest shareholder, Rob McEwen, uh, at great depths. And uh, subsequently, they ended up developing this very high-grade gold ore. And it was an excellent situation for Great Bear. But recently, uh, this has all been sort of flipped on its head because now we're looking at this very unusual situation of having a Red Lake mine-type uh, gold system sitting about a kilometer to two kilometers away from something that really uh, we're trying to find the parallels to in mining history now and trying to find analogous deposits. But, you know, I've had people come to me from the market saying this LP fault target that you're looking at, if I put a side-by-side comparison map, it reminds me of this uh, big discovery uh, back about 30 years ago in Canada called the Hemlo deposit. And uh, this is something that shareholders keep asking me about. And this is sophisticated people. Some of them are uh, basically fund managers, other geologists that were involved in those discoveries. And they keep making this sort of comparison. So now we're in a very unusual scenario where um, we're working through very rapidly with three drill rigs drilling across kilometers worth of this um, new LP fault target, which might be uh, sort of like a a Hemlo-type analog sitting right beside previous uh, high-grade gold zones that we've been working on very successfully up until a couple months ago, which are very much like Newmont's main Red Lake gold mine. And collectively, to have all of these inside of a company like Great Bear, which only has about 40 million shares out and is very well-funded. We don't need to go back to the market for, um, you know, well over a year and a half um, if we don't want to in order to keep this aggressive drill campaign going. It's a really unusual situation. Uh, Lots of fun to talk about, lots of fun to drill. Oh, for sure. Uh, Speaking of the Hemlo, um, some 20 million ounces or something came out of there, I believe, high-grade ounces, no, Chris? Uh, yeah, that's what, um, you know, we have to be careful as an exploration company when we talk about uh, analogies right. that are so large and famous. Sure, Obviously, of course. Obviously, this is early stage work. You have to drill it. The proof is always in the pudding, as we say, with the drill rig. Right. But regardless, we do see geological similarities to that deposit. Other people have noticed it as well, which is why it keeps coming up. But it was 20, 21 million ounces produced across about two and a half kilometers of a, a very similar structural zone to the one that we're now working on on the Dixie property. And on the Dixie property, that structural zone is about 18 kilometers long. There's already, uh, publicly, we have disclosed about 15 or 16 drill holes across a very similar uh, strike length to what you see at Hemlo, about two and a half kilometers. And we've got gold in all those holes. 
So it's very exciting for us to see these sort of analogies emerge, and it's why we announced recently that we put all three of our properties' drill rigs on this new target because we're very optimistic about uh, what we're seeing there. So am I, uh, am I correct in assuming that it's not that you're – your lack of attention right now to the earlier discoveries is it's not because you've lost any kind of confidence in the in their upside potential but because this looks more exciting at the moment or you just need to yeah, determine exactly. whether it is that's that's exactly the situation we we very much like the original targets the Dixie limb and the hinge zone that we already had however um, when you come across a target with uh, say like the potential to have 18 kilometers of strike length and all the initial drilling is positive. I mean, it's a way that we can effectively advance the company, advance the project um, with the rigs that we have in very short order. And when you have a target that big, you need to get as much information as quickly as possible from it so that you can characterize, you know, how big is it? Is it is gold across two kilometers? We already know it's across two and a half. Is it across mm-hmm. five? Is it across ten? How many zones are there? What's the range of grades? What are the types of rocks? Um, is it one big mineralized system or are there different zones that are developed along it? These are all very uh, good problems to have, all very um, important questions to answer as quickly as possible. And do you expect to have some, some assays coming out uh, soon, Chris? Uh, yeah, Jay. Uh, effectively, the only real problem that we've had uh, from an exploration standpoint is that we're drilling so much so rapidly that the uh, the assay labs have been backed right up. Recently, uh, the lab that we've been using had to send out uh, drill core uh, to two other labs, sort of subcontracting them so that we could get the results back in an orderly fashion. Um, with three drill rigs, you're drilling, say, 400 meters of core a day, 1,200 feet of core a day. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a heck of a lot of drill core. It's more than the assay labs can easily handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, how close to surface is this mineralization? Uh, some of the results that we put up recently uh, were within about 50 meters of the surface. Wow. Effectively, mm-hmm. we think that uh, the new zones and the historical zones that we had as well, they all project effectively right to surface. There is a thin a couple meters uh, or a few yards or whatever terminology you want to use of gravel and sand that covers the deposit. But just below that thin layer of gravel, you're right into bedrock and the mineralization goes right to the surface of that bedrock. So Mm. this is exceptional in the sense that that gold uh, has been uh, not just relatively shallow, it goes basically right to surface. So let me ask you, Chris, you've, you've, uh, you've drilled out over two and a half kilometers of this uh, LP fault uh, and it's 18 kilometers in, in length so how far will you be stepping out now or, or will that depend on the results I mean if obviously if you know that you've got something in one point you might want to extend further but if you don't you know until you know so are you dependent on assays to continue drilling as well uh, to some extent, Jay, uh, with our system, though, you have to be aware, like, we, we are able, when we drill, to see uh, gold mineralization. This is not, um, I was previously uh-huh. involved with a company, a company that put a high-grade gold mine into production in Nevada. Uh, it's when my kids were babies, we lived down in Nevada, out in rural Nevada, and we were working uh-huh. there. Now, we would be drilling ounce per ton gold, and I would never see a speck of gold. Uh-huh. With the property mm-hmm. that we have in Red Lake, we're fortunate because you see gold in the core. So you never know the grades until you get the yeah. assays. That's absolutely yeah. true. But you know when you're in the system generally based on the alteration, the presence of gold, other factors. 
factors that let you, they give you information before the lab uh, gets back to you. So we're able to use that information to guide uh, the drilling on sort of a live basis. And uh, mm-hmm. then it's finally informed when they get all those assays. Well, your, your stock is certainly responding to this great news and it, uh, to a great extent, and no doubt in part because you've kept the share count so low and, and it's, very, it's very well owned. The company is owned by people that are not looking for a quick fix or a quick buck, but looking for the, uh, to stay with you through the duration of this project. And which, which leads me to ask you, I mean, how long and how far will you take this yourself? I mean, this is a, I mean, if, the, if you keep hitting gold, the share price should keep responding to that. And in theory, you could keep on going for quite a while, I suppose, as an exploration company. You're not a producer, but there must be yeah. some attention you're getting from some of the big boys. I can't imagine the people in your neighborhood aren't aware of what's going on here. Uh, I think it's now becoming a fairly well-known story. And, you know, that <laughs> goes from the very beginning, early days, Jay, with guys like yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you first met me when the stock was sitting at, uh, you know, 30 cents, 40 cents, yeah, somewhere in that range. Canadian money. We, we yeah. sat down and... Yeah, yeah, so it's not just us making people money. People that listen to you on Great Bear, they also made a lot of money. <laughs> yes, yes, they have. Uh, kudos to you uh, for picking and, that and, up early, and you know, and and, oh, sorry, and quite frankly, I would say I would say kudos to Gwen um, uh, because she's the one that brought your story to the uh, to the Metals Investor Forum, and that's where I learned about it. And what was remarkable to me, Chris, was the consistency of hits. You had figured out the structure. And every time, and so you knew where you were drilling, and every time you seemed to hit some gold mineralization, it was remarkable. So that's one of the reasons I bought yeah. into it so early. But so, I mean, I guess okay. you'll take it as far as you can to optimize shareholder value, right? That's right. We want to keep seeing. What I'd really like to see is I'd like to see the potential value of what we could have here better reflected in the share price. And I know. This is always, um, every company that is very successful ends up being a victim of its own success in a way because at every stage in the process of Great Bear, 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 as we go up to the next level, people pat me on the back, congratulate me, and tell me that they're sorry that they missed it. They did that from 10 cents to 20 cents. They did it from 20 cents to 60 cents, 60 cents to a couple bucks, a couple bucks to, you know, five bucks. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing where, but in reality, we're a company that follows the science. We're very careful Mm -hmm. with the data collection. We're very careful with analysis. And I think that's what's responsible for that consistency and hits that you're talking about. And that's what sets us apart from a lot of our peers. So we'll take this project. Um, I, I'm very confident the team that we've put together, uh, they're very experienced with gold deposits, very experienced in Red Lake. Our VP Exploration, Bob Singh, is uh, he's a, almost a one-man wonder show in time. So, I mean, people that meet him are always extremely impressed with his technical capabilities. But if we keep seeing growth in the share price, we keep seeing response in the market, and we keep seeing, most importantly, more gold coming out of the ground, more discoveries, more zones, what I really would like to see is the market starting to understand how big the project could be. And I mm-hmm. think that's a process that we're just at the very beginning of now. It's more like, I said this to somebody the other day, I feel like I've, I've got, I've, I was at the train station, I got on the train, and it's starting to accelerate away from the platform now. So it's that acceleration in the pace of discovery, the pace of uh, new zones that are being delineated, and the response in the market. I think it's very early days. If we end up, Truly, like uh, many people are telling me, and like um, you know, the only the old, 
the reading that we're doing as well, if we end up with a new discovery similar to something like the Hemlo discovery, I mean, that is something that is worth billions of dollars in today's mm-hmm. money to the company that finds it. If we're able to do that, if, and remember, mm-hmm. this is exploration, that's if. but if that's yeah. something that we can put together, that would put us uh, collectively in today's money, uh, you know, with something like over 10 times the value that we're currently looking at. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's potentially very early days for the company, and we want to drive that process using good science, good exploration. We want to drive that process as far as we can and keep that share count down to make sure that the value of the company is the uh, divided by the fewest number of shares possible during that process. Absolutely, Chris. And as I look at this LP fault on a map that I'm looking at now, and then I see lots of other little splays off of that, other little uh, other little faults that go off of that, I think you've indicated those are all also prospective. So it's, it's, it's an unbelievable story in terms of the the scope, the scale of what you have to shoot at. One of the most, if one of the most, certainly one of the most exciting stories that I've been con- that I've come across uh, in the about four decades. I must say that I've been involved in this business. So, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. Let let me know what how much money do you have on the till now to take you forward? Uh, we have about uh, in Canadian dollars about twenty yeah. million dollars cash and another ten million dollars of in the money uh, warrants and options. Okay, sort of thing. very good. Okay. Very good, and yep. from a very strong position. Thank you so much, Chris, and we'll be looking for those assays coming out on a regular basis, I guess, right? Yep, we'll do our best to make sure you're not disappointed, Jake. Thanks very much for the time. Well, my, only Mother Nature has the secrets, so I, I, I don't expect you to do the impossible. And we want the truth, so whatever that is, we exactly. look forward to it. Thank, thank you so much, Chris. All the best to you. Okay, okay folks, thanks, well, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break with John Williams of Shadow Stats. He believes that we could be in for, that we not could be, but most likely are in for a hyperinflationary future. Not a happy thought, but we'll ask John why he says that and uh, also what you should do to protect yourself uh, from the harm that that could cause. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Williams. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, a Red Lake veteran, is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Williams. He is the author of ShadowStats.com. ShadowStats.com is where you should go to learn more about what John has to offer. And as a matter of fact, I believe he said that he uh, has some new service there now that allows you to, um, to see the economic numbers on a daily basis, I believe, and I'll let him clarify that. But before we say hello to John, I should remind you that, um, you know, I, I did tell you that he's the author of ShadowStats.com. And he is really a, an, honest, um, an honest economist. And I'm not saying that, that most economists set out to be dishonest. But, uh, it, you know, if you say there are honest newsletter writers, too, and, and some of them, um, you know, if you say nice things about us, we'll pay you, Jay, if you say nice things about our company. And there are a lot of economists who they don't explicitly say that. But why are all the economists at the Federal Reserve Keynesians, I wonder? 100% of them, and you daren't depart from that. Well, John Williams is a, an economist who sets out to search for the truth. He is an independent economist, and I have an idea that he probably hasn't maximized his wealth during his lifetime by being honest, but at least he can live with himself, and he does a great service for the rest of us uh, who are seeking to know what the truth is in the economy as opposed to what the propaganda that's put out by the mainstream media. Thanks for joining me again, John. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jay. It's always a pleasure to have you on with us. And I, I want to address this issue of hyperinflation because I know that you are you have been concerned for years now about the dangers of the United States economy, massive deficits that we're running that have accrued under Republicans and Democrats alike. You know, the supply-siders, of which there are some advising President Trump, have always said that all we have to do is cut taxes and the economy will grow and we can just, you know, we can just let the government spend whatever it wants, basically, and we'll be able to balance the budget. Don't worry. Um, I don't believe that you're in agreement with that. No, I'm not. I, I mean, I wish that were the happy case. The, the problem is that you do have to pay eventually for what you're, what you're spending, and if you don't uh, put the cash don't raise the cash to do it, then the system adjusts and and it debases your currency so that you uh, have a very high rate of inflation, and then you've got the dollars to pay it off. But it, the people who have been uh, sitting in the background holding their dollars uh, lose the purchasing power of, of their dollars at the, sa- at the same time. The problem we yeah. have here, and it, this goes back... Uh, well, as far back as I've been uh, looking at the numbers, which goes back to the uh, 80s, although it really got got bad in the uh, early 2000s when uh, the government started expanding uh, Medicare. The mm-hmm. problem is that they put forth all these great programs, but no made no arrangement whatsoever to uh, uh, pay for them. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, there were some taxes, but if you looked at the financial accounting of the government, and this is put out back in those days by the uh, General Accounting Office, GAO, and I'll call it the Government Accountability Office. But they put out um, statements prepared using uh, generally accepted accounting principles, and they would Uh uh, put in accruals for the future value 
the, the, the cash that was needed in hand today to cover those longer-term uh, liabilities. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it was in 2004 that they uh, uh, rapidly or massively expanded Medicare. Mm-hmm. And what that did, if you looked at their financial statement, from one year they had uh, a negative net worth, um, including um, all the uh, accruals for the... Uh, uh, the future value of money of something like $9 trillion. Mm-hmm. And um, after that uh, Medicare shot, that jumped to $18 trillion. They, they They doubled the level. Today mm-hmm. we're over $100 trillion. Wow. But at that time, that was, I just thought that was unconscionable. I mean, you were, uh, there's no way they could raise the money back then. They still can't raise it today. Uh, I mean, that difference there is what we currently owe in total uh, treasury bills and bonds, the hard... Uh, uh, the, the hard pieces of paper that are in theory out there. But beyond that, we owe something close to $100 trillion in net present value um, mm. of all these obligations that have since been taken on. There's just no, no way that you can cover them. But I talked to people at that time um, in terms of the uh, uh, Bush administration, and uh, I, I think uh, Greenspan was uh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, yeah, he well, what I was told, oh, it's too far into the future to worry about. <laughs> well, here we are. Um, here's, I guess, uh, 15 years later, and it's still it's uh, still too far into the future to worry about as far as most people are concerned. But I've been getting uh, a little more concerned responses out of uh, people in the, in the government these days. And uh, th- th- there is the, the problem, because down the road... It, 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 and it gets worse year after year after year. Either you have to bring the system into balance, or you're going to end up with a, um, a hyperinflation. I'll get to the hyperinflation concept in a minute. But to get it into balance, I mean, that is where you, you're actually solvent. You cover the cost of what you're committing to this year. Um, you know, at least you have plans for covering it. You, you have a have uh, taxes, or you've, you, you, you've got your expenses into balance uh, to do that. And again, we're seeing something like an unfunded liability here of uh, order of magnitude $100 trillion. Mm-hmm. In order to bring that into balance, you have to significantly raise uh, your revenues and or, and that's going to be an and, uh, cut, um, uh, cut your expenses. Mm-hmm. You raise, raise taxes and, and you, you cut what you're putting out. And wh- where does that happen? Well, the, the shortfall, the big shortfall, the thing mm-hmm. that's not containable is in the, the areas that are so important to many people, such as Social Security. Right. People pay into that. They, you know, that's as far as they're concerned. That should all be current because they were paid what they're they, they paid what they're supposed to do and Medicare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, they, the government has to raise the taxes on those and uh, has also got to come up with a different way of uh, uh, meeting those obligations, uh, most likely meaning reducing them. Um, I don't see how they're going to do that politically. And, and looking at the people we have in Washington today, I'd say the chances of that are nil. So mm-hmm. what they're going to do is to try to keep pushing it off, telling happy stories. And um, as to what happens there, Consider, and uh, I, I very much respect Alan Greenspan. He's always uh, he's always been a good thinker and, uh, and talker. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the days of the uh, 
uh, I guess it was when the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, treasuries were downgraded by S&P back in 2009. He, w- <clears throat> he wasn't Fed chairman at the time. Yes. But he, uh, he made a comment at the time, which um, I, I think is uh, right to the heart of the issue and represents exactly where we're heading, and that is that the, uh, he said, you know, there's no, no chance that the U.S. could ever default here. Uh, because mm-hmm. everything it owes uh, is denominated. Everything's denominated in U.S. dollars, and the U.S. can print as many dollars. We can print as many dollars as we need. <clears throat> well, um, in terms of the rating agencies, what they look at uh, at is uh, risk of default, and um, there's no uh, no, no uh, clause in the uh, treasuries that I'm aware of that. Uh, uh, allows for uh, a hyperinflation or de- debasement of the currency as an event of default. Yeah, you can just keep printing as much as you need, and and what that does is it creates a hyperinflation. We just print all the dollars we need. Well, that's exactly what uh, they've done in Venezuela. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they did in Zimbabwe. That's exactly what they did in the Weimar Republic. Mm-hmm. And um, those all have had happy uh, endings, as I'm sure most people. Uh, no, and I'm, I'm kidding. Obviously, it's not a happy ending because your yeah, currency becomes the opposite. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, well, um, that's, yeah, that's gonna, where we're yeah. head, heading, and no one's uh, no one's seriously addressing it. Yeah. All right. So uh, the thing is, John. Uh, you know, everybody looks at the dollar. They look at the dollar in terms of other currencies all of which are fiat, none of, them, uh, none of them really have any kind of asset basis behind them or underlying them. And in that regard, the dollar looks pretty good compared to everything else. I mean, our, we had Michael Oliver on the first segment of today's show, and he's been a very, very solid technical analyst. His track record is second to none in my view. And he's quite convinced that you know another half a point or so on the index and the dollar could be headed for much, much lower levels. Of course, your whole thesis with regard to inflation, hyperinflation, uh, hyperinflation. I think you would also say that we have much more inflation than the government's uh, than the government's acknowledging now. And that's in terms of the cost of living. But and others would say the Austrians would say that we have much more inflation than people acknowledge in terms of the financial assets. The uh, stock and bond markets are hugely inflated in their view. So there is inflation using the Austrian definition. But in terms of um, uh, but in terms of purchasing power, you know, people tend to look at each other's currencies and say, "Well, the dollar is the best the best currency there is, and it's the most liquid currency." And there's no way that the dollar doesn't stay as the world's supreme reserve currency. What do you say to that notion? Well, it's uh, maybe we can all go into uh, hyperinflation in a, in a handbasket, but there are a lot of issues here. Um, very specifically, um, you, you do have uh, uh, some countries that uh, um, make an effort, at least, at, uh, at balancing their books, like like mm-hmm. Switzerland. Uh-huh. Um, the problem here is that we, we haven't seen the hyperinflation yet, mm-hmm. um, and if, if we can bring things into balance, um, you can you can contain that and keep keep the inflation levels within reasonable bounds and have a long-term uh, happy circumstance. Mm-hmm. The problem is that in order to do that, uh, you just have to come up with so much money in terms of your future uh, cash flow. 
mm-hmm. effectively means uh, uh, eliminating the, the, these big social programs that we have. And I'm, uh, my contention is that you don't have the political will to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you look at what the uh, Congress just did going forward for this next year, and despite all the happy talk, oh, we'll find, you know, we'll limit the budget, and they, don't, they just expanded everything as they needed it and pushed it into the future, and hope they don't have to uh, address it. They're not going to be around when they have to address it. They've been doing that for a long time, and we're, we're quickly coming down to the level and again, it may not be this next year or two, it could be five years. But eventually, and we're beginning to see this increasingly, uh, you get the inflation, you get the debasement of, mm-hmm. of, the, of purchasing power. And where you can cover that, where you can hedge it, is in uh, holding something like gold. Mm-hmm. It has, uh, uh, that is an area that uh, uh, has held itself over time, and I may have mentioned this on your show before, but uh, bear with me for just a second here. Um, if you go, if you go back to if you look at gold versus inflation, go back to 1900, and what gold, what you could buy with fifty dollars in gold in those days, um, as opposed to just dollars. I mean, they take fifty dollars, a uh, hundred dollars worth of gold. Um, Hundred dollars, not backed by gold. Although at that point it was backed by gold, um, and then move forward to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that what was a hundred dollars purchasing power back in nineteen hundred be worth about uh, ninety cents today. Yeah, into today's right. dollar, and the uh, but the gold would still have retained that that, that value. Mm-hmm. And the uh, what, what I found over time um, coming into it was really the 1980s when Nixon abandoned the uh, convertibility of uh, all, all, all convertibility of the dollar for gold. Just went off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Suppose the gold window. Um, that's when you start to see uh, real inflation, heavy inflation, start to pick up. That's also not too coincidentally when the government started making all sorts of changes to the way that they calculated the inflation rate, so that the headline numbers were not so bad. Yeah. What one thing they did early in uh, 1980 was uh, the 1980s was to uh, change the way they estimated the cost of uh, housing for people. Um, people live in a house, live in a home. There's a cost associated with that, whether they rent or buy or you know, pay, uh, real estate taxes. Um, it, was a, it was probably the single biggest element in terms of the uh, rising cost of inflation in those days. Still is. Uh, at, le- at least in in, in, in reality, um, but what they did then was uh, take out the concept of having part of that being the cost of buying a new house, and instead of doing that, they they put in place about what they called the homeowner's equivalent rent, mm-hmm. a theoretical construct of the government, and the way the uh, inflation rate was calculated was they would then estimate what a person who owned his own house would rent the house to himself for. Mm-hmm. And then how much he'd increase the rent uh, on, on the house to himself each month. And that became the inflation number. Well, yeah. the, the effect there was to reduce the overall year-to-year inflation, aggregate yeah. inflation rate at something like 1.4%. Right. And you get it together, and all the other changes they've made over the years, it's up uh, uh, It's up close to uh, 7% uh, 
on top of that. So it's 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 um, it's significantly different. Yeah. But here here's a funny point. Not that it's so funny. If you plot the headline CPI inflation over time versus the the price of gold, mm-hmm. you see that the price of gold about 1980 starts to take off exponentially, effectively, against mm-hmm. the headline CPI. But if you use my numbers where I reconstruct the the uh, CPI or, or add back into the CPI what they they took out of it, it follows gold. In fact, it, uh-huh. uh, gold follows. Inflation the way it used to be measured, not the way they're reporting it today. Yeah, very interesting. It's sort of a telltale in turn. Sort of verifies your work, John, I would guess. John, I want to ask you... It, uh, it, it does, it, and there are other things that, that confirm it. But guess what? If you're, if you're, if you're um, cost of living, if you're going by the government's cost of living and that's how your salary's increasing and such, you're yeah. falling behind. Yeah. You're, you're, you're suffering. You're already beginning to suffer a hyperinflation. You're not, you're, you're, what you're getting does not had the same purchasing power that it had last year. Right, which is a good reason, which is a good reason, a good reason why people should take their savings and put it into gold rather than into currencies, obviously, especially when you're getting zero interest, essentially. Um, John, I would like to ask you... One thing with gold is you you do do have volatility and occasionally the uh, central banks will come in and knock it down, but I'm telling you over the last century it has followed and you you have your ups and downs. So yep. that you need to allow for some flexibility. There's some some volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you put in there is what what you need for the long term. Um, you don't you don't take it in. Uh, I wouldn't take it unless you have some particular insights as to what's happening, and hope that you're going to gain um, sharply the the next week because you think certain things are going to happen. That happens, and that's that's one way of handling it. But if you hold it over time, and put in there uh, the uh, wealth and assets. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're looking, lying to live on going forward. Mm-hmm. If, if you uh, if you put it into uh, a gold and hold it, uh, it'll cover your uh, it'll cover the long term purchasing power of your wealth and assets. Right. And that's that's where people can get killed, and it's the type of thing they need to protect. Okay, John. With just about three minutes left, is about all the time we have here. I want to ask you if if I understand what you're saying. Uh, you're saying perhaps what we're going to see is all fiat currencies losing tremendous amounts of money. Uh, and so it really doesn't matter. You can make the argument that the dollar is the best of the lot. But if they're all really bad, you'd better get out of the dollar as well. Do I have, do I have you right on that? Uh, you, you certainly do. Because what you're going to find is that you're, what you're holding in dollars is not, is not going to be keeping up with your actual cost of living. Mm-hmm. It isn't. It hasn't for some time, and given the way the government's deliberately um, changed its uh, CPI calculations. John, do you see the possibility of some sort of a major global monetary regime change that could be in place? I mean, the last one, uh, the Bretton Woods, 1944, it was altered in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. Uh, and there are adversarial nations like China and Russia that are sick and tired of being, from their viewpoint at least, being abused by, by dollar hegemony. Do you think that we could be in for a major change in terms of the international monetary system uh, with a minute and a half left to answer that question, if you could? Sure. Well, we're, we're, we're certainly facing a great crisis with the dollar, and the dollar is still the world's dominant currency. Uh, yes, yeah, so some, something happens here to the dollar, there's certainly going to be a reorganization. And... Uh, 
Uh, the problem is it's difficult to make it preemptive uh, yeah. because in the in the, uh, uh, the 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 process, if you do that, if all of a sudden we go back to a gold standard, guess what? The the U.S. can't survive there. It still has to bring its financial house into order. Uh-huh. Now it's using its its fiat currency to keep its house in theoretical financial order, but the dollar's going to hell and the purchasing power's going to hell. If you keep the if you have a, a stable currency with gold or backed by gold. The U.S. has still got to bring its house in order. It cannot keep spending the way it is, or you just have um, hyperinflation or full debasement of the power, uh, purchasing power of your currency over time. Um, however, they handle it. You have to look okay. within your means eventually. Yeah, eventually you do, right? Um, so there, you can't fool Mother Nature, as they say. It's uh, you can for a while, perhaps, but ultimately uh, the truth finds its way to to rule the day. John, I want to thank you so much for being with us again. Always a pleasure having you with us. Uh, I uh, shortchanged you on the time a little bit. My apologies. But we'll have you back again sometime soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for your insights. They're very, very valuable. Well, All right, folks. Welcome, well, and uh, thank you for having me, having me on your show. Always a pleasure at my end. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Uh, next week, uh, my main guest will be James Turk. Um, I do expect to have uh, Michael Oliver back with me and, and possibly a surprise guest of some name or another. I have a few in mind, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 